spooky people. Welcome back to Unknown Compelling Force, episode six. <laughs> that gal there is Emily Law. And that girl there is Marissa Baldwin. So we have a very special episode for you guys today, but before that, Emily, is there anything interesting going on in your life? In my life? No. But in general? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What about your life? Uh, my life has been exciting. I got my second round of COVID vaccine, so now I'm invincible and I can never die. Ooh, ooh. You're immortal? I'm literally immortal now. Wow. Nothing can get me. I that can't. sounds pretty interesting. That sounds like something I want, but yeah. we'll see. Um, it, the price for immortality was just a 35-hour <laughs> migraine. And both times? Both times. Yeah, okay, so like the first round of the vaccine, I was like sick as fuck for like three days with like dizziness and nausea and body aches and all that shit and then the second time luckily it only lasted one day but it was the most intense migraine i think i've ever had and i've had some bad ones but luckily i slept through the whole thing that's so. the only reason i haven't got mine yet because of your reaction <laughs> yeah i mean but uh, yeah most people are fine i don't know why my coworker so was the same up. way though almost everyone i worked with i work with has gotten it at this point and i think only two of us had weird side effects but. I just feel like I would get those side effects, because when I had to get the meningitis shots for college, all three times, I was so sick. Really? Yeah. Weird. I wonder, like, I got the Moderna, so I wonder if there's a difference between That's getting Moderna or Pfizer. That's what I heard. I think there's a bit of a... Yeah, it makes sense. The giant man nurse who gave me the first dose <laughs> was like, I, I went, I didn't even really want to go, just because I didn't want to be one of the first people to get a brand new vaccine. Yeah. That just sounds a little intimidating. Yeah, definitely. Um... Like, I'll get version 3 after they've worked out all the bugs, but uh, I had to go for work. And then this giant man nurse who was giving me this shot was, like, reading this list of things. Just so you know, this is not certified by the FDA. Nice. This person, this person, this person, don't really approve of it. Also, you might get these horrible side effects. Um, also, after you get the shot, you have to sit here with us for 15 to 30 minutes in case you die. Um, if you go home and start to die, just call 911. Also, you can still get coronavirus even if you get this shot. Here we go! And I was like... That's like those commercials about medication, and yeah. they do all the side effects, like, really, really fast, so you can even catch it. Yeah. It's like, you might die. I was like, dude. But, well, now I, I can still get coronavirus, but uh, yeah, if I do it, I will be less likely to die. So, okay. bam, bitch. <laughs> it was worth it, baby. Was it? I don't know. I mean, I did get to sleep for, like, 32 hours straight, uh, which I have not done since in the womb, so, like, that was nice. <laughs> I, I guess. Other than that, that's literally the only thing going on in my life besides work and this podcast. Yeah, I mean, just work, school, internship, just so much. I bought a bunch of plants yesterday. That was yeah, fun. Yeah, our house looks like a Jungle. fairy garden. You're welcome. <laughs> I know, I love it. They will all be dead within a month. <laughs> Probably. But I'm going to do my best. All right. Anything so, else interesting to, to share? Mm. <laughs> Did you hear about that girl on TikTok? who killed her sister. Not on TikTok, but... I didn't hear about that She one. made TikToks. My friend sent it to me, and it was just, like, a generic girl, like, dancing to lyrics or singing to lyrics or something. And all the comments underneath were how she, like, killed her sister by stabbing her in the neck in the middle of the night while her whole family was asleep. And her sister was, like, in a wheelchair and nonverbal. So, like, there's... I can't imagine there's any oh kind God. of motive involved. Like... She might have been one of those people that thought that she was suffering and could be. thought she could take could her be. life. 
That's great. This girl that's was crazy. like a teenager. That's scary. She like I didn't look that much into it. Like I just talked about it with my friend who sent it to me, but she looked like she was maybe fifteen or sixteen. That's crazy. Like that's there's like that's... so much like true crime shit involved with like TikToks. Like I just remember that time when that TikTok was going around. Um, of those kids that found a suitcase, like, under <gasps> oh, a bridge. while they were randonauting? Yeah, or something uh, like that. And they are like, okay, we're gonna call the cops because this is fucking weird. And there was two bodies stuck in it. Yeah, parts of two bodies. Yeah, that's They found up. other suitcases with the other parts. That's crazy. That anyway. is TikTok, am I right? <laughs> for all you youths who are on TikTok, I'm too old and not with it for that, so. I mean, I'm 22, but I... I still love TikTok. <laughs> I'm 25. Catch me on MySpace, okay? Come be one of my top eight friends. Click on my profile and it will start playing TikTok by Kesha. That's the closest we're going to get <laughs> to me being on TikTok. Unless, should we start a TikTok for this podcast? I think that would be really fun because then we can involve our tech stooge. Our tech stooge. He's really hot, guys. <laughs> our tech stooge, Nick. Um, Freddie Benson. We'll make him our TikTok monkey, basically. Yes. That sounds good. That does sound That's good. That's gonna be fun. His face would get likes. <laughs> He's got a good face. That's my bo- that's my boyfriend, guys. I'm just I'm not just like sexualizing someone <laughs> random. It's consensual. It's consensual sexualizing. <laughs> anyway, um, we have kind of a special episode for you guys today. Definitely, this is gonna be um, exciting. So we were going to do our regular type of episode where we you know, each had a topic, and we were both gonna focus on different cults, and then I got way too into mine, and I genuinely could not find a way to make it shorter, because everything that I have seems important. I didn't know how to take things out. I wanted to give you guys the full story, so we're gonna do it a little differently in that this episode is just going to be my story, and our next episode is just going to be Emily's, but instead of we usually do every other week. We're going to do two right in a row. Mine is a big one mm-hmm. that I've known, I wouldn't say a ton, but I've known enough about for a while that I was really interested. Mm-hmm. And then when I started doing the research, it fucking blew up. And I I guess I didn't realize how intense it was. I watched um, one of my favorite true crime YouTubers do a three-part series on it. Mm-hmm. So, And she goes very into depth. And fun fact, she lives here in Rochester. Oh, shit. It's fucking amazing. Her name's Stephanie Harlow. Check her out on YouTube. Stephanie Harlow. Plug. <laughs> Plug for someone we don't know. amazing. That's where I get, like, a lot of my information from, because she cool. goes really deep into that stuff. That's how I'm trying to be. Uh, but, yeah. Okay, so, uh, I don't know. Should we just get right into yeah, it? Yeah, what's your topic? Okay, Tell all right. me. Uh, Emily, have you ever heard someone say that they drank the Kool-Aid? Yes. They said, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yes, I tell that to Republicans all the time. Yeah, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Do you know where that comes from? Yes, but I'll I'll let you explain it. (laughs) Pretend like you don't. Oh my god, no. What's that from? So it comes from the People's Temple Agricultural Project in Guyana, Mm -hmm. better known as Jonestown. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Before I get into the information, so I, before I knew Jonestown was even a thing, like, my dad and I have always really liked like, horror movies Mm -hmm. and, like, weird kind of creepy movies, and when I was visiting home from college, like, I want to say my freshman or senior year, or freshman or sophomore year, (laughs) uh, we just chose, like, a random Netflix movie that seemed creepy, and it was called The Sacrament. I highly suggest watching this movie, because it was about Jonestown, and I didn't know what Jonestown was, 
Mm-hmm. And after doing all the research for Jonestown, that movie follows the story of, like, the settlement that they had mm-hmm. so perfectly. Um, which I'll, I don't want to spoil anything right now, so I'll, I'll tell you more about it later. But mm-hmm. basically, this, the movie, The Sacrament, is about these guys from Vice who heard about this, oh, like, yeah. yeah, they heard about, like, this, this cult that's led by this prophet, this really cool guy, everybody loves it, and they're living in this, you know, rainforest jungle area in Guyana, and they want to go down and check it out. So they do. And then shit gets hairy. Shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan, and they are there, like, it's like a docudrama, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so good, and to, to watch it without knowing anything about Jonestown yeah. at the time, yeah. and even my dad, well, about halfway through the movie, he's like, oh, I, I think this is Jonestown, <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what that is, Jim, so he, like, Googled it and was showing me the pictures, and I was like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I saw... Uh, you know the pictures I'm talking about. It looks like a carpet. Anyway. Well, I saw... Um, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> think, I saw one of think the crime carefully, scenes. Think crime carefully scenes before you talk. You're Miss right. Emily spoils I, everything. I'm so sorry. I try so hard. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. I just get excited. All Emily does is spoil things for me. Like, last week when we were recording our episode, I told her not to tell me anything because I knew nothing. It was only when you did Clinton Road. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. It was when you were doing this it cult. It was the one we were talking about. Yes, yeah. It's, it's, it's for the cults. And I didn't know much about the one that she's doing, and I told her not to tell me because I wanted to be surprised about all of it. <laughs> and then she was just Snapchatting me videos of her explaining and all this <laughs> research she was doing. I was like, girl! No, because I just <laughs> wanted you to know that part because it was so funny. It is funny. <laughs> I mean, in a horrible event, that is funny. <laughs> I told you just act surprised when I mention it on the podcast. I'll go, <gasps> <gasps> really theatrically, yes. Is that, is that that a deal? Yeah, deal breaker. Deal. All right, so let's hop into it because, like I said, I have a lot of content to cover here, and we're already ten minutes in. All right, I'm excited. Let's do this. All right, let's hop right in. So, like I said, the People's Temple Agricultural Project, also known as Jonestown. Uh, so it was a settlement in Guyana, which is kind of a remote country. It's east of Venezuela, in South America. So this was a settlement established by the People's Temple, which is led by this man, Jim Jones. So, the People's Temple, at its peak, had about 913 members living in this so-called cult. A third of them were children. About 70% of them were black. Hmm. 65% of them were women. This will all be more interesting later. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the project was first negotiated and settled in the year 1974, and people lived at this agricultural project, a.k.a. Jonestown, until November 18th, 1978. This is the Drink the Kool-Aid story. I'm so excited. Even though it wasn't even Kool-Aid. I know. It wasn't even Kool-Aid, y'all. There are people who are really mad about that saying, not only because it, it literally was not Kool-Aid. Yeah, they didn't um, use Kool-Aid. But also just because of a lot of connotations that go with it. Yeah. And it's, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. So we'll get more on that later. So I want to start telling you, start with telling you about Jim Jones himself. Because mm-hmm. he's... The, the main character of this story in every way. He's truly a, a real piece of work. <laughs> so, Jim Jones was born May 13th, 1931, in Indiana. As he grew up, he became a member of the Communist Party of America. Well, there you go. And he was studying Marx and Lenin and Adolf Hitler. Well, there we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he thought capitalism was the devil. Which, I mean, don't we all? Mm-hmm. But he took it to the extreme, like, there's a difference between communism and fascism, and I think that's a distinction a lot of people don't like to make. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, there are ways to denounce capitalism while not doing what Jones did. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important to say. <laughs> um, so he was always a very vocal believer in civil rights and equality for everybody. And that was a huge piece of who he was even in his very early years. He was really integral in, like, the civil rights movement and helping, like, integrate churches and stuff, which was not really done back then. I just am a little confused. I mean, why a man that is studying, like, Adolf Hitler is so into equality? It's important also to talk about that a lot of the world really loved Hitler up until the Holocaust. Yeah. That's, that's important. That he had, I mean, I don't know that much about Hitler, I'm obviously not going to defend him, but I know that, like, there are people who did support economically yeah. what he was doing. Yeah, before he... So, I, I think when he's studying Adolf Hitler, he's studying more of, like... rise to that point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I can only assume. Yeah. Who knows? Um, it's Jim Jones, we don't know. <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay. The, the, the guy's dead, spoiler alert. Like, we don't, we cannot pick his brain any longer. So he first started the People's Temple in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1955, and at the time was one of the very few integrated churches in America. So after his integrationalists' ideas were, like, constantly under attack in Indiana, mm-hmm. go figure, yeah. uh, and, weirdly, in fear of nuclear war with other countries, he moved his temple to the Redwood Valley in California, where the people were more liberal, he thought he would be more accepted, and he thought that it was safer from nuclear attack than in Indiana. That's weird, but okay. There were there was like a whole bunch of geographic reasons why Eureka, California, was like the safest place because of it was upwind from this place and that huh. place, an event of nuclear war. Interesting. I don't pretend to understand it. Please don't ask me questions. <laughs> um, so eventually, they made their headquarters in San Francisco, and they really took off from there. Mm-hmm. At some point, I I know they had a branch in Los Angeles. I don't know how long that lasted, mm-hmm. but th- their base was San Francisco. I also really want to get into what the People's Temple was like. And how people can fall for a cult mm-hmm. and, like, worshipping yeah. a demagogue. Because everyone will say, like, oh, that can't be me. How could people fall for that? Yeah. That's so dumb. But, like, I also said that about pyramid schemes. And then I had that kind of job where you stand in Walmart <laughs> trying to sell electricity because I fell for it. Yeah. And then on my first day on the job, I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. But it was too late. I was there. Yep. So yep. that's kind of... <laughs> okay. A multi-level marketing job is not the same as a cult, but, like, it is. Okay? (laughs) It is. I know from experience. Anyway, uh, so basically Jones and many cult leaders did what abusers do, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, which is one of those things of how could this happen? How could you fall for that? How could you let that happen to you? It's that it starts so small and so insignificant. It's like that metaphor with like the frog if you throw a frog into boiling water it'll jump out yeah but if you put it in a pot of water and slowly heat it up it will stay there until it dies yep that's what happened with these people Mm -hmm. also uh he put a lid on the pot so they literally couldn't get out but we'll get there later yep (laughs) uh so he collected people basically from all walks of life who were all just looking for something more and he promised them that whatever it was So a large majority of the temple members were people of color because it was a safe place for them during the racial tension and honestly downright danger of -hmm. America at the time for people of color. Yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, this was also the 50s when this first started and sexism was really prevalent, I mean even today, but at the time it was really prevalent. So that's why a large majority of them were women. And that's why 
you know, more than two-thirds of them were black. Mm -hmm. Or or people of color, mostly black. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was a safe place for them. Yeah. And if you were looking for equality, he could give it to you. If you were looking for religion, he could give it to you. Like, whatever it was, he would make you think he was giving it to you. He was incredibly charismatic. He treated everybody equally, pretended pretended but like cared and loved everybody equally and you know when racism was really loud and proud back then like this was such a rare thing for people to find of course they were gonna hold on to it yeah um he even actually adopted a bunch of kids from other races and ended up having nine children in his little jim jones family with his wife marceline they only had one biological child whose middle name was gandhi yeah okay stephen gandhi jones and then eight adopted children from other races which he called his rainbow family he also claimed to have psychic powers and say that he could see into the future and predict what would happen which kind of comes into play later uh he claimed to be able to heal the sick and actually i nick and i watched a documentary about jonestown a few months ago just because it was on netflix and there were videos of the people's temple and he would plant people in the audience yeah and put them in a wheelchair and say oh like people with some kind of ailment and then there was the wheelchair and he would there was this one video where he was just yelling at this woman stand up stand walk you can do it let's go don't let you know don't let that keep you down stand up and she stood up and started Mm -hmm. walking very theatrically and the whole congregation was just going crazy yeah like, got, like they really thought that they just saw a miracle, but it was fake as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, she she was a plant. It was all made up. Yep. And it was, oh, it was crazy. So because of that, people really did, you know, some of the people really did think he was a prophet. He even called himself the Messiah of the People's Temple. Like, they really, some of them really thought he was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, it was insane. Um, and there was one article that I read that they interviewed someone who had escaped Jonestown her name was Terry Buford O'Shea. Side note, her story is amazing. Like, everything that she did in this story is amazing. Um, she was a homeless teen. She was 19 years old, walking down the street, and a van pulled up alongside her. Guy rolled down the window and said, hey, I know a place where no one has to worry about food or housing. And of course, this homeless 19-year-old girl was like, fuck yeah, anything's mm-hmm. better than here, yeah. got into the van. And went and joined the People's Temple. So he's really preying on people who are desperate. And And in some cases, so vulnerable. That's the thing, is that they are looking for anything to, like, ground themselves. I feel like that goes for every cult. It's like their target is vulnerable people. Just like abusers. Yeah. Just like abusers. They go for people who they know they can manipulate and control because they need them to rely on them. Exactly. Because, like I said, whatever he said, like, whatever you wanted, he said he could give it to you. Mm -hmm. And he would make you think he was giving it to you. Yeah. But this woman, Terry Buford O'Shea, I'll talk more about her later and just kind of pepper her in there. Uh, But she has a lot of good insight because she worked so closely with Jones and she was actually one of his secretaries when they moved to Guyana. So she knows a lot of the inside stuff. And I I don't want to tell you that yet. It's a spoiler. Okay. (laughs) I will get to it later. Yeah. So a lot of the People's Temple defectors who survived Jonestown talk more of the people of the temple being a draw for them than Jones himself. Hmm. That everyone was so loving, there were people from all walks of life, like, working together and worshipping together and just being happy together, which in, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s America, sadly was not the case. Yeah. In most cases. Terry Buford O'Shea herself said, 
What was good about Jonestown was not Jim Jones. It was the people he attracted. They came from every walk of life, from the very well-educated to the totally uneducated. Some have lots of money, some were living off Social Security, and some didn't even have that. It could have been you, and it was me. Like, I think it's so important to note that these people thought that they were doing the right thing. Yeah. And they were people who needed something and were lost in some way and wanted to be part of something bigger, and he brainwashed them into thinking, like, this is it. Like, they're, we're going to change the world. This is the thing you need. And it's so fucking tragic that he preyed on people this way. But yeah. So obviously in a temple like this, it was covered enough in the media that people knew about it, mm-hmm. which obviously not everyone was super impressed, and people on the outside were super curious about what was going on. So there had been reporters publishing articles on the temple, and while most of them were positive, not all of them were. Which we will see that it's a theme throughout this whole thing that Jones no matter how much positive feedback he's given, any amount of negativity is devastating. Mm-hmm. Like, he could be, you know, in a group of 100, 99 people could say they love him, and one person can say they're unsure, and he has a breakdown. Yeah. Like, he just, he can't do it. And that's kind of what leads to the downfall. So, in the fall of 1973, there were a series of critical articles about Jones that came out, and that... It's unclear which happened first, the articles or eight members defecting from the temple all at once. Oh, okay. But that was obviously devastating to him. So he and the temple's attorney, Jim Stowen, I believe is how you pronounce it, remember him. Tim Stowen, they decided to enact basically like an emergency contingency plan in case of a media or police crackdown on the temple. So they talked about going to Canada, Barbados, Trinidad, etc. to escape but they settled on Guyana for multiple reasons. First of all, they spoke English. Second of all, they had lenient extradition policies with America. Okay. So that's, you know, if there's criminal activity, where are you going to be safe? Mm -hmm. Um, They had a mostly indigenous population and had black national leaders, which would create, like, a safe place for his very diverse temple. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really big selling point for him. Uh, so also, just an interesting side note, the way that they convinced Guyana to let them move there was because since they're right next to Venezuela, and there had been, like, tension with Venezuela over border disputes, Joan said, so stick us right on the border and Venezuela will not fuck with a giant group of American people because uh, right now no one wants to fuck with America. Yeah, yeah. Like, this had, this was, you know, 30 years after World War II ended, and America's like a fucking military this was, powerhouse. This was during the Cold War. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So he's got a thousand Americans stuck on the border. No one's going to mess with them. Yeah. That is so conniving. That's so genius. So Jones was, the way he was selling both his temple to Guyana and selling Guyana to his temple was so interesting. Like, he's talking to Guyana like, oh, we're the purest communists there are he said like basically just like oh we're benevolent cute commune don't mind us we'll invest all our assets into guyana and we'll help you guys out ooh, ooh. yeah sure let us move okay. in uh so they ended up getting it they got a three thousand acre plot about 150 miles from the capital of guyana which was georgetown so at first jones just sent a group of about 500 to begin building the settlement and then he was like consistently urging more people from the temple to move there. Mm -hmm. So it started out with 500, and then they just kind of trickled in. Until a few media investigations into the temple were looking into 
allegations of abuse within the temple, so they basically noped the fuck out of there overnight, pretty much. Like, as soon as the media started sticking their nose yeah. into these abuse allegations, they just left. Yeah. So Jones went down to Guyana with the last few hundred people, and then the whole temple was finally together at the People's Temple Agricultural Project, a.k.a. Jonestown. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of where agriculture is going to come into this. Well, okay, so here's the thing. The way he was selling it was like, we're going to go down there into the jungle, and, and, I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute, but he was basically telling them, like, we're going to be self-sufficient. Okay, like, this yeah. is going to be a commune. We're going to grow our own crops. Yeah. We're going to have farms. We're going to take care of ourselves and be completely self-sufficient. So it was the agricultural project was that they were, like, growing plants. <laughs> I guess. Okay, yeah. They um, just want to be self-sustainable. Yeah, pretty much. So he kept promising this utopia to people, yeah. was, was the word that they used a lot. He kept saying, it's a comfortable 72 degrees every day of the year. No mosquitoes, <laughs> no snakes, no danger, just a perfect place to be. Won't you come move with me to the Guyan and Guy Guyanese jungle? And they did. No danger, but we're going to stick us right in the middle of Venezuela and Guyana. <laughs> Literally, right? <laughs> so as soon as Jones arrived with all of those other people... Jonestown was immediately super overcrowded. Shocking. Um, and they called that the migration. So Jones going down to the settlement with that giant group of other people, they call, like, the migration. Okay. So before Jones got there, people were watching movies. Like, they would screen movies from Georgetown, which was the capital, you know, of Guyana. They'd get movies, and, you know, it was nice. And as soon as Jones got there, they were immediately replaced with Soviet propaganda films Wow. And documentaries on the dangers of capitalism and, like, all America's social issues and everything like that. So it got to the point that even though they were already extremely limited in what they could watch, if they were to watch anything else, like, no matter how non-political, like Disney movies, mm -hmm. they could not watch it unless there was, like, a temple staffer watching the movie with them to interpret it to them and say what it really means. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, already this is crazy. Um, and it, it really seems that it was a pretty sudden shift. Yeah. As soon as they moved to Guyana. I guess because he figured now he's not in America, so he can get, he thinks he can, he can get, get, away, get away with, with yeah. that shit. And we'll get into this more uh, later, but then also they had nowhere to go. Exactly. Like, they didn't have yeah. a choice at this point. Who are they going to call to bring him back to America? Exactly. Which, <laughs> we'll get there, don't worry. So they had lessons and schooling for both kids and adults, uh, which was replaced with Jones' ideas and personal issues, and he would go on these weird long tangents about the revolution he was beginning and all of his enemies, but most of his enemies seemed to be people who had just defected from the temple, um, which Terry Buford O'Shea, who was one of his secretaries, had said that she one of her jobs was to write letters to, like, temple defectors who had been gone for years because he would still harass them years after they left yeah and he would say that he if they left he was gonna send them things with poison on them mm -hmm. so she was writing these letters like are you gonna put poison on these letters when you mail it to them but she was never sure if he actually did that or if he that was just something he said he would do because basically he said a lot of things yeah. and no one knew which things to believe yeah especially the people working like really closely with him which that's 
every, every single red flag. Like, as soon as they move to Jonestown, it's a goddamn fucking Russian parade. Red flags everywhere. So, like, crazy. And he also, he was also telling them that there were mercenaries in the jungle looking for them in order to keep them stuck in the camp and, like, terrify them into staying. So this is literally a camp that they built in the middle of the jungle, Mm -hmm. and Jones is there telling them, there are mercenaries in the jungle, you can't leave, they'll get you. Like, the CIA is sending people after us, all those defectors are sending people after us, you have to stay here, it's the only safe place. Which is complete mind control. Yeah. Like, class A manipulation. And he has to, like, create an enemy. Mm-hmm. So he's always talking about these enemies, and the enemy shifts, and it's just kind of this amorphous blob of, it's the CIA, it's the defectors, it's this one guy, it's this other person, and it's just always changing, but there's constantly the threat of the enemy, whoever the enemy is. I might be making this up, but I feel like I remember that he would sometimes station people in the woods. Is that something? Yes. So okay. that's, we'll get to that Okay, later. I just, yeah, yes, I just we should. Like, I don't know if I'm making this up. Yes. So everything about this was such a, like, ongoing act. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was like a play all the time, mm-hmm. which we will get to more. Um, so these lessons that he was giving about, you know, Soviet shit got more and more wild as his physical and mental health started declining when they were there. And it just got to the point that he was interrogating temple members about news articles and what the, quote, implications were. So he was, like, teaching them how to read news. So he would get this news and kind of annotate it in a really bizarre fashion and say he was teaching them how to read between the lines Mm -hmm. and understand what it really meant. And then he would just, like, be interrogating them about what it truly meant. And he'd go on rants, and it was just never-ending weirdness and very bizarre. And all of the people who were there and can now tell us what happened um, said that it just got so confusing, and everyone just kind of looked around at each other and didn't know what to say, and they were afraid to say the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. But they, they had no idea what was going on in many cases. So in addition to this, it was obviously not the paradise that he said it was. It was incredibly hot every single day. They had 12-hour work days, six, day, six days a week, and then had hours of study afterwards, which were those Ugh. lessons. And then when, when his health declined more, his wife Marceline took over, and then she really reduced it to, like, a normal work week amount of hours, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he just lied about what it was like there. Uh, so this is a quote from Julia Shears in a book she wrote called A Thousand Lives, The Untold Story of Hope, Deception, and Survival at Jonestown. So it says... And there are mosquitoes. There are snakes. There are all kinds of critters. Every day, they're getting up at the break of dawn and going to work in the fields. During the dry season, they do bucket brigades to water the plants so they don't die. It's backbreaking work and there's no free time, and that's on purpose. Jones knows people are unhappy, there's not enough food, and they're separate from their families. It's hot. It's nothing like he promised. And that's the thing is that this agricultural product they were setting up was bullshit. They could not farm the land there. Yeah. Like, the soil was untenable. They could not grow anything. So they had to send people to Georgetown to, like, buy really shitty produce and, like, beg for food, basically. Um, And people were, like, starving. And they had the closest water, I think it said it was, like, 10 miles on muddy roads, and they had to go get water, and it's crazy. That's crazy. So because of this, they had to have a lot of things shipped, like, from America, like, even wheat. Like, they had to have wheat shipped in. The food was bad and gross, and there usually wasn't enough. They're constantly working. They're exhausted. They have no spare time to talk to each other or think about the situation, like, at all. 
Yeah. Which is obviously intentional. Mm-hmm. So it's classic control stuff. They had giant towers with speakers mm-hmm. that played Jim Jones's voice almost 24-7. Yeah. So him, like, recording news articles and talking about this and giving announcements that, and they played on a loop. And it was, the rule was that if you could hear his voice, you were not allowed to talk. Ugh. So, and it was almost constant. So it's literally like that episode of It's Always Sunny where they create a, a sweatshop and Frank is, like, teaching Mac how to mind control people. <laughs> And they have, like, the, the constant loop yelling, and they're not allowed to talk, and, like, they're all terrified, and he's, like, giving them little snacks as a treat, and I'm like, oh my god. That's where they got that from, is oh Jonestown. Oh my god. Well, figure out where Jonestown got it. <laughs> so since they couldn't, like, talk about anything, like, they were not allowed to talk when the speakers were on, that meant no one could talk about what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. No one could talk about how to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So they're out there in the heat working their ass off, hearing a looped recording of him shouting communist propaganda, you're not allowed to talk to each other, and he's literally using advanced mind control techniques he learned from studying North Korea, Mao Zedong's China, and literally Adolf Hitler. Like, he studied advanced mind control techniques in order to achieve this, and it's wild. And there were punishments, like I said. You were not allowed to complain at all, and he would send plants, like, people would come up and complain to you, and if you didn't correct them and tell them to stop, you would be punished. Mm-hmm. So everything was a test. One escapee said that she was craving bacon, and her friend told her not to talk like that or she would get beaten. So they would be beaten, they would make children stay the night at the bottom of a well, <laughs> sometimes hanging upside down. Oh my god. Yeah. Can't she die? Yes, you can. All the blood rushes to your Yeah, head. you can. What the fuck? Uh, and he would force drugs on them like Thorazine and Volume. There were oh. others, please don't ask me to pronounce them. <laughs> because I will make a fool of myself and I do that enough. Lots of drugs. A lot of drugs <laughs> that had complicated names that I didn't know. Also, the children situation was incredibly bizarre. Like I said, about a third of them were kids. Mm-hmm. And they were mostly surrendered to communal care and were only allowed to see their parents, like, once a day, like, at night. Like, very briefly. And people had to sign over their bank accounts, their social security, their welfare, anything that they had, for the mm-hmm. most part, they would put in Jim Jones's name. And there were people who investigated that because they thought, obviously, that's really sus. Yeah. And they would come and talk to them and everything was okay because these people said that they were doing it on you know, of their own free will. They were not being forced to do this, and they were happy to do so. So that's crazy. Also, he literally blackmailed them when they joined the cult that he would either have them sign a blank paper that he would fill in later, or he would have them sign a paper, but he would be covering it so they couldn't read it. Mm -hmm. But he'd still make them sign it. Mm -hmm. So then if they tried to leave or talked about leaving, he'd say, no, you can't. I have this on you. I can blackmail you. I know all this stuff. There's no way you can leave. I'll ruin your life. Like, he's psychotic. This is the craziest part. Before the real crazy part. I was going to say. This is these crazy things called white nights. Mm -hmm. N-I-G-H-T. Like, nighttime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they would have these rehearsals in case of a, quote, emergency. When they're in immediate danger of being attacked and killed, called these white nights, where they would practice revolutionary suicide. Which is what... Yeah, which is what they called it. So these white knight rehearsals was just literally practicing everyone killing themselves. 
And it's where they would kill themselves by drinking cyanide-laced flavor-aid. Not Kool-Aid. Flavor-Aid. Grape. Yeah, yeah I wonder where, like, when, when First that of all, changed. why would you choose grape? Yeah, that's fucking gross. Grapes, gross. <laughs> Strawberry superiority up in here. That's fucking gross. I wonder where, like, when that changed. Like, when everyone just started referring it to Kool-Aid. Even in American Horror Story, in, like, Cult in that season, um, in that season of American Horror Story, Colt, um, you know when Evan Peters is like, nope. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously that whole season is about cults, and it's just a big mashup of all these different cults, like Manson and everything, and like Evan Peters um, was sort of the main culty guy in this, and he sort of acted like a mix between Manson and Jim Jones, and um, he did like a fake suicide thing that I'm sure. Oh my god, it's into. probably based off of that. Yeah. And he said it was Kool-Aid. Uh yeah. And it's because whole it's fake thing. It, I think it's just because flavor or Kool-Aid is more mainstream. People know it. Flavor aid was just like yeah, an off brand, I'm assuming. What, yeah. Like no one's saying I had great value fruit punch. <laughs> also, fuck grape. Strawberry supremacy I'm gonna start a band called Strawberry Supremacy. And it's just about flavors of Kool-Aid. That strawberry's the best one. <laughs> Which, side note, this is uh, irrelevant. Um, in seventh grade, my friends and I heard that you could dye your hair with Kool-Aid. We all heard that, girl. So, yeah, so we did. Um, <laughs> it was horrible. I, like, dyed my ponytail with red Kool-Aid. And it... Honestly, they should market it as... I was gonna the say, did it work for you? Yes. They should market it as the most permanent dye. Because it wouldn't come out... Like, my hairdresser, like put, like, color remover stuff on it, tried to take it out. She dyed over it a darker color. It didn't work. I just had to wait for it to grow out. It was, and I was, I was in seventh grade. I was already so awkward. I thought I remember one of my friends doing it, but it didn't really do anything. How dark was her hair? Darker than yours, so. Yep, that makes sense. (laughs) See, my friend and I who did it, she was blonde. Yeah. We both fucked up our lives. Danielle, if you're listening, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) anyway oh okay so these white night rehearsals Mm -hmm. before it got to the drinking the punch they gave them a choice so they would talk about fleeing to the soviet union which he was a huge fan of he loved the soviet union so either fleeing to the soviet union drinking the poison staying and fighting the attackers or just running into the jungle so he would like give them the choice and then they all kind of just after a few, I'm assuming, they just kind of settled on, no, you're all drinking the punch, shut up. Mm-hmm. So they would all line up, take a cup of the, take a cup of the Flavor-Aid, drink it, and wait. And the first couple of times, people were really confused, they were really scared, and then they were all just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen, and then he'd start laughing and clapping his hands and go, all right, this was just a loyalty test, now I know I can trust you, go home, sleep tight. That's exactly what Evan Peters did in Is American Horror Is he the guy in WandaVision? Cult. The fake yes, Pietro. Nick said that he was in that. Yeah, Nick would know. Okay. I, 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 I love him. Evan Peters, but anyway. I, I know a lot of people do. I just he's don't good. get it. I don't he's get good. It. In American Horror Story, he, like, he's Isn't just, he evil? He's very, he's very good. not good. <laughs> he's very good at being psychotic, and I think that's great. I mean, I think it takes a great actor to be, <laughs> that's to be fair. like that. Uh, if we're going to talk about hot guys acting psychotic, have you seen How to Get Away with Murder? 
I told you I saw like two seasons maybe. Oh, and then okay. I was like, this is so boring. in the first season when you know Connor. Yeah, Connor, he was he, my favorite. He's everybody's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he's just. <laughs> He's just slight, like, going slightly crazier through the whole season, and he's just, like, chopping up a fucking burnt body, and I'm just like, you know? He's still hot, though. He's, yeah. <laughs> like, really is. He's just, that's how Evan Peters He's is. just hacking up a dead body going, haha, there goes the tibia, or maybe the fibula, and I'm just like, biting my lower lip, like, <laughs> Like those TikToks of those white boys that, go, that do that... Yeah. And okay. then they, like, flick their cap. That was me watching <laughs> How to Get Away with Murder. I went to find a cap just to flick it. Anyway. That's me watching any Harry Styles music video. That's fair. That's, <laughs> or interview. That, yeah. Yeah, well. All right, that's a rabbit hole neither of us need to go down right now. Um, so these white knights, they were, like, uh, he kept saying they were a loyalty test. Which I think the first couple times people were very taken aback. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that the first few times they thought it was real. So as with his lessons, quote-unquote lessons he was giving, as his health declined and he kept getting sick, he was getting lung infections, swollen limbs, slurred speech over the announcements, and he got more and more paranoid as time went on, and he just got more absurd. Wasn't he drinking, like, a shit ton? He was on drugs. Or I know drugs. that. Yeah, because yeah. that's why he always wore sunglasses I don't remember if he was a member of the temple or if he was a visitor of some kind, but he was talking to Jones, and he could just see the paranoia in his eyes and was, like, seeing the glassiness of his eyes, Mm -hmm. and the guy just, like, his chest kind of tightened and was like, oh my god, there are a thousand lives in this man's hands right now. Yeah. And he's like this. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't imagine what it's like. So anyway, yeah, that's what Jonestown was like, the fun utopia that he sold it, right? Doesn't that sound oh, exactly like he described it? Such a utopia. Utopia. Utopia? No, I said Zootopia. That's the I think third time I've dystopia. referenced Zootopia. That's the third time I've referenced Zootopia today. That's a good movie, though. though. I think it's cute. It's very good. <laughs> Anyways. So I would like to talk about the beginning of the end. We love that. Yeah, we uh, do we? Um, so they get a visit from Congressman Leo Ryan. Okay. Beginning of the end. Do you remember me telling you to remember Tim Stone? Yes, the okay. lawyer guy. Yeah, he's back. So he is no longer the attorney of the temple. He defected before they migrated to Guyana. So he and his wife, Grace, are trying desperately to get back their five-year-old son. <gasps> um, because since a lot of these children are, like, surrendered to communal care, a lot of them will literally sign over parental rights to Jim Jones. And that's what they did. So they are trying, or or he had, like, park custody, something like that. It was very confusing. I'm not a lawyer, but, so they're just trying so hard to get their fucking son back. They're in America. He's in Guyana. And it was actually ordered by the courts that he be returned. Jones ignored it. It was ordered that he be sent into protective custody. Jones ignored it. So Jones, at this point, even initiated a fake sniper attack on himself. Mm-hmm. To begin a round of white knights called the Six Day Siege. This is not a new thing. He would regularly have the security for the camp, which was called the Red Brigade. Mm-hmm. So the Red Brigade would just suddenly start shooting into the jungle as if there were enemies yeah. there. Plot twist, there were not. There was no one there. But they would act like there were just to scare people so they'd go running to Jones for safety. Mm-hmm. Like, it's insane. So... 
after he initiated this sniper attack on himself, which was fake, he, there was a six nights of the White Knight rehearsals. So there's also, at the same time, meanwhile, there's a group called the Concerned Relatives in 1977 and 1978, which is led by Tim and Grace Stowen, who are trying to get their son back, Mm -hmm. a handful of people who had defected from the temple, family members of people in the temple, and they called themselves the Concerned Relatives. They wrote letters to congressmen and the Secretary of State. They gave information to media outlets, which shared, like the information about that custody battle, which was very bad for the temple's reputation, which was already not great at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, And also, it's important to mention, I didn't write this down, but that there were actually a lot of people in America who thought that Jonestown was awesome. And people who who knew Jones, like Harvey Milk, huge lover of Jim Jones. I believe it. And there were a bunch of other people whose names only existed long before I was alive, so, like, I only vaguely remember them. But there are people who were like, no, I met Jim Jones, he's mm-hmm. great, he's doing wonderful things with these people, because they didn't know the reality. Yeah. So, in some part, Tim and Grace Stone, trying to get their son back, and these this group of concerned relatives, had people fighting them back. Mm-hmm. And people who were like, no, that's crazy, shut up. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's is, always gonna be like that. There's always gonna be people like that. That's true. It's like... Like, I thought that in the year 2021, we could be like, the earth is round. And I thought we could say, hey, scientists know what they're talking about uh, better than that kid who dropped out of high school at 16 but has a meme page on Facebook. But uh, So it's at this point that California Congressman Leo Ryan decided that he was going to go visit Jonestown. So based on what he had been seeing in the media, and he was also interested because the son of one of his friends, Bob mm-hmm. Houston, had been recorded on the phone talking to his ex-wife about leaving the temple, mm-hmm. and three days later, his mutilated remains were found wrapped in duct tape on train tracks. That is not the first case like that. I know correlation does not imply causation, but in this case, it kind of does, because it's not the first time something like that has happened. Wait, like, so in, um, what's the country there? I'm sorry. Guyana. So... The body was found in Guyana? I think it was in California. So what? I'm not sure. That was that part was gray. I it sound but based on what I read, it sounded like his ex wife was in Jonestown. He was in California talking on the phone to her about leaving about her leaving the town. Oh, okay, yeah. And he I was, was like, killed. Okay. I was like, cause if he's talking about trying to leave but he's in california i was like right. wait a minute what no yeah and this this kind of thing had happened before like there was a family who left the temple and the parents and their small child were all found shot execution style in their house no, like unsolved case like mm-hmm. this was pretty regular mm-hmm. regular so based on that and everything going on in the media leo ryan decided he was gonna go down there and see what was going on So November 14th, 1978, he went down with a handful of reporters and some of those concerned relatives to go see Jonestown. This is the beginning of the end. This is the the domino that knocks everything down. So they land in the Port Ketuma airstrip about six miles away from the camp, which is, seems to be the only, like, reliable transportation system that they have there. Uh, It's, like, airstrip about six miles away and then roads through the jungle to get to Jonestown. So they got there, there was a whole kerfuffle about who was and was not allowed into the camp. Like, he let in 
Congressman Ryan and a few other people, but said everyone else had to wait until nighttime to come in. It was confusing. Mm -hmm. But so there was this big musical reception where everyone was dancing and having a good time, and the visitors seemed to be enjoying themselves. Um, But since Jonestown taped most, if not all, of their meetings and sermons and everything, there was a tape found that proved that Jones had run multiple rehearsals on how to talk to Congressman Ryan. So all of this was fake. Like, they were drilled in this. Mm -hmm. That First of all, you're not allowed to talk to him unless he comes and asks you a direct question. If he asks what you eat, we eat lamb and steak and chicken. And, like, it was so... There's, like, proof that this was all faked. Yeah. Which is wild. So they were just trying really hard to convince the congressman that everybody was happy there. So during the party, two temple members named Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, both terrible names, yeah. <laughs> uh, passed a note to someone in the group that they thought was Congressman Ryan but wasn't that said, Dear Congressman, please get us out of Jonestown. That's scary. And they said that that's when they knew something was very, very wrong. That's so scary. Yeah. So despite that, Ryan told Jones that people seemed mostly happy and he would making, be making a report on Jonestown describing it in, quote, basically good terms. So even though there were people who wanted to leave, they were the minority, and most of the people he talked to seemed really happy, even though it was fucking fake. Yeah, I I feel it. Are these people just really fucking good actors? I guess so. But also, it's, I should tell you, not all of them were fake. There were still people who were very loyal to Jones and really did think he was Jesus. Yeah. So, like, I don't know what the ratio was. A lot of people were just there because they were scared to say anything and scared to leave. But then there were people who actually wanted to be there. Yeah, because I'm going to say, like, it's pretty easy to tell when someone's not actually being genuinely happy or, like, excited about something. Right. Uh, So Leo Ryan and the few others stayed the night in Jonestown. By the next day, they were getting ready to leave. And that is when all hell breaks loose for the first time. So early that morning, 11 temple members could tell that things were going south and that were about to get dangerous, so they got out of there, claiming to go on a picnic (laughs) so that they could escape, and they walked um, to a nearby town of Matthews Ridge. Those people survived. Nice. Uh, As Ryan, like, got ready to leave, a few people stepped forward and asked to be escorted out of Jonestown. So they were like, hey, you're leaving, please take us with you. And when Joan's son, Johnny, asked them to stay... One of them said, quote, no way, this is nothing but a communist prison camp, which he was right. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few temple members were publicly given permission to leave with Ryan, which just led to more people saying, I want to go too then. Yeah. Like, as soon as someone was allowed to leave, they're like, oh shit, we can leave? Okay, yeah, me too, me definitely. too, me too. Um, and it just, everything went crazy. During this whole thing, a fucking enormous rainstorm breaks out. So it's just this emotional scene in the pavilion, where it, which is where they had all their meetings and stuff, of people saying, okay, please take my son, take my son. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, husbands and wives who are arguing because one wants to go and one wants to stay. And there was one couple particularly that was noted that he was trying to take his son and leave and his wife was, like, screaming and not letting him take the kid. So it's just, like, the whole thing is fucking wild. So... At this point, there's, like, a dump truck that's coming to take them to the airstrip to leave. Um, so it just takes a bunch of people who are leaving to mm-hmm. go to the airstrip. But Congressman Ryan stays back to process anyone else who wanted to leave. Because he's like, oh, shit, well, if this many people leave, I can't just go. Like, I have to help them. Yeah. Um, but while that was happening, a temple loyalist named Larry Layton asked to go as well. 
immediately a bunch of people were suspicious as to why because why would he want to go he was loyal to jones Mm -hmm. they had a suspicion and they were right so another temple loyalist don sly attacked congressman ryan with a knife ryan got away unhurt like people pulled sly away from him and he was fine but that's when he was like okay it's time to fuck yeah i need to get out here now so the dump truck came back and got him and they went to the airstrip so they originally had only had one plane, just because it was a small plane, a little, like, dirt airstrip yeah, I was gonna in the say, jungle. Like... It wasn't, like, a fucking Boeing 747. Is that a plane? Probably. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, American Airlines? I don't yeah, know. But they weren't calling up United Air, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Southwest Air. Um, I still wouldn't fly Delta. Anyway, uh, so they had to change to get another plane as well since they had, you know, so many unexpected people coming with them. So they ordered a Twin Otter and a smaller Cessna. They ordered these planes, but when they got there, they weren't at the airstrip. So they ended up having to wait. Mm -hmm. But when the planes got there, they started boarding. Sussman Larry, who was the loyalist who wanted to leave, Mm -hmm. as soon as they got in the plane, he pulled out a handgun and started shooting people. So he shot... Grozny, Bagby, and Dale Parks, who was all, they were all defectors. And meanwhile, the rest of the group was boarding the Twin Otter. So that included Congressman Ryan, the concerned relatives of people, people who were defecting from the temple, and a bunch of reporters. Mm-hmm. So as they're boarding the Twin Otter, a tractor pulls up to the airstrip with approximately nine of the Jonestown security team, the Red Brigade, they come back. And they immediately hop off the tractor and start shooting. And so they're opening fire with shotguns, rifles, and handguns. Two of them circle the plane, and the first few seconds of this is actually caught on camera by a reporter, Bob Brown, who was immediately killed. Congressman Leo Ryan was shot over 20 times and killed, along with Harris, Robinson, and Parks, which was one defector and some reporters. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, most of the visitors who came with Ryan were the ones who were killed, which is interesting. The two pilots fled in the Cessna and left nine (laughs) wounded behind, just left them on the airstrip. So, like, yeah, they killed a congressman and other people for trying to leave. So. (laughs) This is, like, he was literally going to make a good report. Yeah. But Jones has that thing where he said, what do you mean mostly good? But also I think it's because, oh, The people leaving. Yeah, quite, like, not even quite a few, but there's, like, he kept saying, like, I, 20 out of 900 are It wasn't even leave. 20. It was, like, 8. Yeah. And that's still terrible to him. Yeah. And it was, and he kept saying, I've failed, I've failed. And he said that to, I believe he said that to Congressman Ryan when he was like, yeah, you know, we've, we've, we're going to make mostly a good report. And then some people wanted to leave. He kept saying, I've failed. Yeah. And Jones did. And the people around him kept trying to tell him that he hadn't, but he was very adamant that he had failed. Yeah. Um, also, back to the movie that I was talking about at the beginning. It's called, again, The Sacrament. After reading this part, this was in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the reporters that the movie are based off, they're from Vice in the movie. So they're reporters who go, basically, they're these people. Mm-hmm. And you see the, sh- the shooting at the airstrip right up to the tractor. Like, they had it. It seems exactly the way that I read it. It was mm-hmm. made in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it first of all, the movie made it, while I'm reading this, really easy for me to picture. Because yeah. I was literally just picturing the movie. 
it's so weird that I watched that movie and I didn't realize yeah, how, like, crazy. verbatim accurate it is to what actually happened. I don't think I saw that movie, but I've known you about should... Jonestown oh, oh my forever. God, we should watch it. Is it still on Netflix? I mean, probably not, but you have that weird <laughs> website you watch stuff. Wait, that's illegal. I'm not going to say that. So, we are getting to the end here. Meanwhile, back at the camp, shit's hitting the fan for real. So, after Congressman Ryan left the camp, Marceline Jones, his wife, made an announcement telling everybody to go back to their homes, everything's fine, it's not a big deal, nothing's going on, and they started making the punch. So they take out this giant, like, galvanized metal tub, and they mixed grape flavor aid with five things I simply cannot pronounce, with Valium and Cyanide. I'm so sorry, guys. Those were the only two things I could pronounce, but just know that there are a lot of fucking chemicals in there. I feel like the most important one is Cyanide. Oh, definitely. And maybe maybe Valium. Just that alone will do it. Yeah. So actually... The cyanide had been tested on the camp's pigs, because apparently they have a very, like, similar metabolism to humans, hmm. so they had tested the cyanide to see what the dosage that they needed to use was. So th- this That's was... crazy. I mean, even not regarding the White Knight rehearsals, this was so premeditated. Like, yeah. he knew that this was that this was the end game. He knew that he was going to do this one day. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he figured that it's all going to come crashing down eventually. Exactly. So he's got to have a plan for it. Right, because he, he really backed himself into a corner here. Yeah. So, and he actually, in order to get the cyanide, he had to get a jeweler's license to say that he was like, because I guess that can be used to clean gold. Yeah. So he had to get a jeweler's license in order to get this, and they could only get it in half-pound shipments, and they had to get it, like, over the course of months. Yep. So, like, this was so planned out, it's psychotic. So after they started making all this punch, Jones made his own announcement, calling everyone to the pavilion where they had all their meetings and stuff. And Jones started giving this speech about what happened to the congressman and saying, I know that that man went to go, you know, shoot the congressman. It doesn't, I didn't tell him to do it, but I just can tell he's going to. And during this conversation, the Red Brigade comes back and one of them goes to mumble in Jones's ear and he just says so quietly and deadpan, yeah, the congressman's dead. And that's when they all know. Yeah. So... That's when they all know that they need to fulfill their plan for this, quote, revolutionary suicide. So he has everyone start to line up, just like they did in the White Knights. They go youngest first, so they start with babies. Oh, my God. And then children. And Terry Buford O'Shea, the one who survived, escaped, you know, long before. She said that by starting with the children, you know, that the parents would be more likely to follow because they had nothing to live for. Yeah. She said, quote, that killed a lot of people at heart before they actually took the Kool-Aid. So, which is, again, just so psychotic. Um, so there's actually, since, like I said before, they recorded almost everything on cassette, like, tape, all their meetings and stuff. There is a 44-minute cassette tape called The Death Tape. That's Jones talking about the mass suicide they're about to commit. The tape is paused at parts, and people have theorized that he's, like, pausing it, kind of, like, live editing it, because mm-hmm. he didn't want certain objections to be heard so if someone started to disagree he would pause Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't be recorded but you do hear some disagreements but they're very mild and you know but a lot of it is people standing up and talking about why this is going to be okay like an ex-therapist stands up and talks about you know oh reincarnation we're all gonna be somewhere else like it's this tape is insane because Mm -hmm the beginning you just hear kids in the background making kids noises like you know you know mumbling and doing kid stuff and then by the end it's like screaming 
Mm-hmm. Like, like they're screaming no, they're crying, they're, like, it's, I listened to it last night and it's so upsetting. So you hear Marceline saying, like, they're not crying in pain, it's just a little bit of a bitter taste, no pain. And they're saying, don't tell your kids that they're dying, that's scaring them. Like, oh, line up back there, yeah, stay calm, try to keep your kids calm, everything's alright. But, like, they're fucking killing their children, like, but the, the whole while, like, Joan's voice is there so... Nonchalant. Not nonchalant's a very good word. He's so nonchalant. Like talking about reincarnation, mm-hmm. we'll finally be able to rest. Meeting you in another place. We're going somewhere safer. He starts talking about in Brazil, they kill all their babies as soon as they're born because they don't. They know that this life is so terrible. Like there was a really long quote from him about. Basically, it ended with like death is so much better than even 10 more days of this life and it's a lot but here's the thing about this death tape it's public domain whoa which means i can play it nice i fucking love it and me and emily are gonna listen to a little bit of it right now she didn't know this was coming no i'm I'm excited i'm I'm about to traumatize her no i've seen it um oh you have yeah i mean not all of it obviously yeah Um, but so I'm going, this is your huge trigger warning. Mm -hmm. I will put a huge trigger warning in the description of the episode also. Um, and I'll put a timestamp for where you should not listen if you don't want to hear. I'm only going to play 30 seconds to a minute maybe, but this is your huge trigger warning. It, you're going to hear kids dying in the background or, or starting to, to in pain, in pain for sure. You're also, but, but the mostly you're gonna hear his voice. Yeah, just so calmly saying things like, "Without me, there's no life worth living." While there are babies being poisoned in front of you, like it's insane. So I will put that in starting now. It's honest, and I'm sure that they'll they'll pay for it. They'll they'll pay for it. This is a revolutionary suicide. This is not a self-destructive suicide. So they'll pay for this. They brought this upon us, and they'll pay for that. I leave that destiny to them. Who wants to go with their child has a right to go with their child. I think it's humane. We're trying. If everybody will relax. The best thing you do to relax, then you have no problem. You'll have no problem with the thing if you just relax. The children here a great deal because of Jim Jones. And the way the children are laying there now, I'd rather see them laid like that than to see them have to die like the Jews did, which was pitiful anyhow. And I'd just like to thank Dad for giving us life and also death. And I appreciate the fact the way our children are going. Because like Dad said, when they come in, what they're going to do to our children, they're going to massacre our children.
with respect, die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. It's nothing to death. It's like Mac that is just stepping over in another plane. Don't, don't be this way. Stop this hysteric. This is not the way for people who are socialist to communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with some dignity. That shit's fucking crazy. It was... I mean, like, uh, I'm so desensitized to anything like that because yeah. I just, like, I watch so much true crime and horror that when I hear something that's real and that happened, I'm just like, oh my god, that can't be. Like, that's right. so fucked up, that can't be real. So my mind automatically does that, It's you know? easier to distance yourself from it if you know it's a reenactment, like, if you know it's acting, yeah. but when you listen or watch the, the real thing yeah it's so different because it's like those are literally the voices of people who are dying yeah those were people who are dead now Be and this is the moment it happens this is their life ending you're hearing their last noises like it's it's so there's just no words for it the, the things that they did and there are people who were arguing like very calmly arguing just like giving other suggestions like well maybe we could go to the soviet union like you wanted to and he's mm -hmm. like no yeah and then there's a woman who's saying well if we kill ourselves it's letting the enemies win we're doing their work for them and he's like just do it and then by the end he's just wants to get the show on the road so bad he doesn't even want to listen to the people praising him he's like just fucking do it like yeah. and it's just and it's, I mean, he he had people shot, right? That refused to take yes, and the that's Kool -Aid, that's not the, the Kool Aid, but the flavor. <laughs> and we will, I'll I'll get there as well. So, like I said, they started with babies. Mm -hmm. So they had actually the poison injected into their mouths with a mm -hmm. syringe without the needle. So they took the needle out of a syringe and they were injecting it into babies' mouths. And once the adults started watching the poison take effect, that's when they started quote showing a reluctance to die. Because, yeah, no shit, there's a baby frothing at the mouth and writhing in pain in front of you. Because for the babies, it took maybe two minutes. For the kids, they said it took about five. Mm -hmm. For adults, it took 20 to 30. Yeah. So imagine, what, like, holding your baby while that happens, and you have just drank it yourself, and now you just have to sit there waiting 30 minutes for it to be your turn to experience that. I, ugh. He could have chosen easier way, I feel like. Oh, he did but... for himself. Oh, I, yeah. And and you that's know. the thing. He really did Fucking the Hitler pussy. thing where he yeah. watched his wife and all of these over 900 people who he claimed to love. His adopted kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. And he claimed to love these people. And even the tape starts with, oh, how I've loved you. I've done everything I could to love you. Such so bullshit. he's just watching them go through this horrible thing and then decides he doesn't want that and shoots himself in the temple fucking pussy and when his body is found laying on the ground there's a pillow under his head like after all of that and if you see the pictures from jonestown i don't know if we should post them on instagram i think that's a little much for people who don't yeah, want to see that especially when you can't really put a trigger warning before you well we could just swipe over then. But either, oh, either, either way, I don't think it's a, a thing that should be on Instagram. You can Google it yourself, the Jonestown. Yeah, I think we've and might, we there might are, get banned for something like that. Could be, probably. yeah. Because they're dead bodies. But it's there's, all over the place. There's, yeah, there are, if you just Google it, there's a hundred of them. They're aerial photos of just 900 people lying on the ground. It looks like carpeting. 
-hmm. It doesn't look like bodies. It doesn't look like people. It's just... There's, there's nothing to even really say. But one of the survivors said that in the, it was, quote, hysteria and confusion as the kids started to die. And they're thinking that a lot of people probably thought it was another rehearsal. Like, a lot of people oh, th- really yeah. thought it was another white night until the baby started dying. Mm. And then there were people walking around like they were in a trance. They're holding their loved ones. And the whole time, they're surrounded by armed guards. Yeah. So, it was just very clear that they had no chance. There was no choice. There was no way to survive that night. You were either going to be poisoned by your own hand, or you were going to be shot by a guard. And a lot of the bodies had autopsies done in Guyana, and a lot of them had injection marks. So they're thinking a lot of people were also injected, assuming against their will. Mm-hmm. So there was basically no way to survive. No. So then, after the 900 or so people had been called up, then it was the guards' turn. And then they poisoned themselves. And then the, there's at one point on the tape you can hear Jones moaning, Mother, 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 over and over, referring to his wife who laid in front of him dead on the ground. So this event was the largest intentional loss of civilian life in American history until 9-11. That's crazy. Yep. Um, in the end, it was 918 people. Remember, a third of them were children little I think that's what gets me the most because they just had no choice they were just they they into it and that's the thing is like even up until the end there were people who were like no this is what we have to do thank you dad for doing this for us for doing the right thing and making the right call and and there were people who were like la di da di da time to inject my child with poison and like the first person who actually took the poison walked up willingly with her infant injected the poison into the baby's mouth and then into her own and i wish that we had a ratio and we could tell how many were willing and how many were not but there were at least 70 bodies that had injection marks Mm -hmm. and they only did autopsies on 200 so 70 out of 200 had injection marks so that's a pretty high ratio of people who refused to take the poison also, there were people who tried to pretend to take the poison and then lay down, but the guards walked around with stethoscopes, and if you had a heartbeat, you were shot. So whether the poison wasn't happening fast enough, or hadn't happened, all, hadn't killed you all the way just mm-hmm. yet, or even if you were faking, if you had a heartbeat, they shot you. So the total death at Jonestown, including those at the airstrip, was 918. Only two elderly temple members survived. One of them... They said he survived by a combination of trickery and luck. Like, he somehow, like, lied to the guards or tricked them in some way, and then he hid. And then another was literally, she heard what was going on, but she didn't hear the announcement. So she'd mm-hmm. been sleeping through the announcement. Mm-hmm. She And they were both in their 70s, both the survivors. Um, one of them was named Odell Rhodes, and that person is the one that we got a lot of the details from because they woke up after the announcement and everything and everyone was in the pavilion and they just hid under their bed the whole time. Wow, that's And crazy. listened to everything. That's fucking scary. And, and they, yeah, they heard the whole thing. So bodies were collected and taken to the Dover Air Force Base to be processed. Over 400 of the bodies are put in a mass grave in Oakland, California. Wow. Because a lot of the bodies were not r- recovered by family. Yeah. 
is the thing. Because either they didn't have family or the family yeah. was not aware or mm-hmm. they just didn't want them. So there's a memorial there for them, but, like, yeah, shut the fuck up. You put them in a mass grave. Take your, you know, memorial and stuff it because mass graves are terrible. But obviously this is where we get the phrase drink the Kool-Aid, which, like I said, a lot of people who survived or no survivors or family members are so upset with the phrasing because it's so obvious that a lot of the people did not want to do this and that they were forced to. So when people say, like, oh, my God, yeah, I totally got into TikTok, totally drank the Kool-Aid on that one, like, it's just really minimalizing this fucking tragedy mm-hmm. that a thousand people were basically forced to kill themselves. Um, and especially, again, just since so many of them were kids, they didn't know what was going on, and if they did, they were scared. There were stories of kids who tried to escape. Like, kids who ran off into the jungle long before, the, like, even the final night. They just hated it there and were scared, so they tried to escape. So, yeah. a lot. There are a lot of survivor stories from people who defected from the temple... Either the people who left Guyana or the people who left before they moved to Guyana. And I strongly encourage you reading some of them because it's it's so interesting and it's so weird. So just like for the people who are thinking like, how can someone fall for this or like stay in a goddamn cult? Like, how does this happen? Like, mm-hmm. th- like I said, he did what abusers do. He took away all your ability to escape. He isolated you from literally everyone on earth, not just your loved ones. Like, you literally had no way to get out. And he used literal mind control tactics, and he was just a fucking full-on psychopath. Mm-hmm. And that is the fucking tragic story of Jonestown. It's very easy for someone who's in such a vulnerable state to be manipulated by a psychopath because they're yeah. just so charming, and they they tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And you'll believe it because yeah. they're just so fucking charming. And then they, they use that as leverage as, look at all I've given you. Can't yeah. you do this one thing for me? And then it grows and grows yeah. and grows until you're killing yourself. Like, and actually, that Terry Buford O'Shea, mm-hmm. who uh, got picked up on the side of the road when she was homeless, and she mm-hmm. went to become one of his secretaries, she escaped. She went to Guyana. Mm-hmm. And then there was, like, some lawsuit or something happening in the U.S., something she had to that was being handled by their lawyers and they needed extra hands and she was like she was like shit this is my chance because after like the first white night rehearsal she was like oh my god he's really gonna kill us like I need to get out of here now and since she was in kind of his inner circle when there was stuff going on in the U.S. and they needed help she said no 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 no. Jim Jones Jim Jones you can't trust anyone up there you should send someone from the temple because you can trust us you should send me I want to go do it so he was like, yeah, great idea. So she went back to America, packed up a suitcase from her old apartment in San Diego, moved to New York City, and changed her name. Nice. And she changed her name multiple times because she was always so afraid he would find her. And I she she that. was living under different names until the FBI found her. Wow. Yeah, because even after Jonestown, she was afraid he still had people out there. Oh, yeah. I would believe that, too. Which, her story is just phenomenal it's so interesting she's such a badass and I'm so happy that she was able to do that but like it's just (laughs) I feel sad I all those little babies I think we'll have uh, I think I just think about work I literally work in a preschool where we have babies up until like seven year olds and I'm just like I no it's the same with us oh my god I literally the other week I had a 
like, 10-month-old baby fall asleep in my arms because he did not want to fall asleep in his oh, rocker. They so, never do. so I was in the rocking chair and just trying to rock him to sleep because it was nap time and he just conked out. Oh, like, God. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, like, particularly maternal, but, like, I, my, you know, my students are five and six, so, like, they're just so, like, they're just such important little people, and just, like, the way that they look at you and talk to you and act, they're all just so fucking innocent, even when they're having a tantrum and screaming and kicking at you, like, they're just, they're so, their worldview is so small. Mm-hmm. And there's so, so much that they don't understand. And every day I have conversations with these little kids that I realize how much of adult knowledge, quote unquote, I take for granted. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you don't know what a fly swatter is. And they're just looking to you for Yes, that like how can you look at their little face and want to do any kind of harm? Like, I... And I think this in a, in a, because people do some fucked up shit to kids and it just blows my mind every time how you could, like, you have to be a real sociopath to they, do something like that. They prey on the innocence. That's yep. just what it is. And in Jones's case, like, doing this to people at all is barbaric and truly psychotic. But the, the kid, a third of them, 300 kids. Yikes. I'm so sorry that this ended on such a depressing note, guys. In other news, uh, they tried to give all their money to, like, the Soviet Union. Nice. (laughs) There was, like, he sent, like, two of his sons or something to go take suitcases full of, like, millions of dollars to the Soviet Union. And there were people who, like, wrote letters, like, like, little suicide notes, like, I, so-and-so, declare that all of my bank accounts in my name be given to the Soviet Union. That's so fucking weird. And I'm like, really? This is what you think is pressing right now? But, so yeah, that's it. That's Jonestown. Um, it's not Kool-Aid. It's Flavor-Aid. It's grape. Fucking grape. The grape itself is the poison. Disgusting. The fact that it is grape flavor is what would have killed me first. Yeah, that shit tastes like medicine. It does. I hate grape. Gross. I can't stand grape or cherry. And I also, cherry. I was actually reminding Nick of this today because to end on a lighter note, I have a horrible fear of spiders. So when I got some fucking romaine lettuce. Oh, no. Yes, she was there. She watched this happen. Uh, I got some romaine lettuce from goddamn Wegmans. Plug for Daddy Wegs. And I went to make a salad and I pulled back one of the leaves and a spider ran out of my lettuce. And now I don't, I eat a lot of salad because I like it. It's very yummy. And I don't know, literally like Nick made salad tonight and I was like, I can't eat this. What if there's spiders? Oh, God. Um. I didn't but, see it, but the way you reacted, and then it was on the floor, and, like, you know, we kind of started, like, peeling back the leaves a little bit, yeah. like, afraid it would just pop yes. out, like, oh, And I, I think he fell on the floor, but we couldn't find him. That fucker is still at large in our home. We're not safe here. The spider <laughs> is somewhere. Um, I grew up in a house full of spiders all the time, everywhere. Luckily, yeah, I'm, I've only seen, like, two in this house ever, but one had to be in my salad, bro, and I was... When that happened, and like we were making salad for dinner tonight, and I reminded Nick of that time when I was really little, and I was drinking some purple grape juice, and I left it on the counter, and I came back later and tried to drink some, and an ant had found its way in there and like kind of washed up on my lip, and it was so I was like four, and I was so traumatized. I have never in my life had grape juice again, and I genuinely <laughs> think that that's why I don't like wine. Is because I don't like grape juice. Is because of that fucking ant. 
But I love grapes. I like grapes. But, so yeah, there was a spider in my salad. There was an ant in my grape juice. Grapes is terrible. That's the end. Misfortunes. Misfortune. So anyway, um, that's Jonestown. Emily has a very interesting cult episode for us I'm excited. I'm excited for this one because while, yes, there are depressing parts, the end is depressing. But there's funny the parts The in-between is fucking hilarious because it's just like, how can these people, vulnerable or not, how can these people believe in these things? Because we're going to talk about it. It gets into the extraterrestrial some just, realm. Some of it's, it's just, just kind of goofy also. It's just like, we believe in aliens, right? 100%. But do we think that, like, some fucking dude yes. named Applewhite is walking around and is actually an extraterrestrial? Could be. Wearing Nikes? Who's to say? <laughs> actually, we're not going to go there too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thus concludes episode six. Episode 6, part 1, I guess. Yeah, episode 6, part 1, I would say. Of cult. Stay tuned for part 2, coming to a Spotify stream near you in like a week. It's gonna be exciting. Catch you then. Um, In the meantime, casual reminder, send us emails at ucf.pod at gmail if you've got any kind of spooky stories or feedback if you want to make it onto our campfire episode. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, both at UCF Podcast, and you can also just DM us there a story if that's easier for you, because we're on, we check those more often. Yeah, we're on Instagram. Well, I'm on Instagram at least quite a bit. I don't really use Twitter. We do love to shitpost. All right. Yeah, check out our memes. Check out our memes. It's kind of our only passion besides the spook. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, in the meantime, stay spooky, my friends. Stay spooky.